Everyone doing okay? Yes. God's good, isn't he? Yes. God's good. All the time. It's important to sing songs like that last one, isn't it? In every circumstance of life. Well, I have a wee news flash for you today, but before we do that, I'm just going to pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity uh, to come before your word. We pray, Lord God, we would hear your voice today. It's you that's the voice of hope. It's you that can give us strength. And it's you that speaks life into us, Lord. And we just pray in Jesus' name, your voice would speak today in this place. We declare the name of Jesus in this place, his voice alone, to speak. Amen. Newsflash. Can you see that picture there? We don't have the lights off today. Can you see that okay? I'll move along a wee bit. Can you see that now? Anybody identified with that is any hands? McDonald's. McDonald's, good. What else about it? McDonald's. It's McDonald's. A lot of people know McDonald's, that's a bad thing. What about McDonald's? What's what's different about that picture to a standard the McDonald's down the road there? A crowd. A crowd. A crowd. Quite a lot of people there, eh? In fact, there's hundreds and hundreds of people there. Must be awful keen to get a Big Mac in that place. Well, let's see if this thing works. This is based on a, the picture's just making a joke, really, based on a newspaper story that just came out recently, which said uh, bank workers and teachers among the 2,000 a day applying for a McJob as unemployment soars to 12-year high. Now, there's nothing wrong with working at McDonald's. I'm not saying anything about that. But this is a current news story that a job that in the UK normally people, students and other folks would be trying to not, you know, it's like a last resort to work in McDonald's. Uh, What's actually happening is they're getting 2,000 a day people applying for jobs in the UK. That was in the Daily Mail on the 17th of June. Uh, also in the Daily Mail on the 16th of June, it said this, one in ten teenagers is now a neat... A neat? That sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? It's a government definition, and it means this. Not in education, employment, or training. One in ten teenagers is not in education, employment, or training. And this one's from the Sunday Times on the 7th of June. Job losses yet to come in Scots finance sector. No return to 2008 employment levels in two, until 2017 at the earliest. And just on the, the kind of children and teenagers things, I looked up a, a, a quote from the Bernardo's Children's Charity about this situation of, of, of children not being in education, employment or training. It says, uh, the situation is desperate for young people leaving school at 16 trying to work or train in the workplace. A desperate situa- situation. And, you know, that's me just, I've just picked the employment sector there, right, in the, in the UK now. And that's, I've given just a couple of current examples from the newspapers there. I could pick uh, politics, we'll not talk about that. Uh, expenses, say no more. Uh, we could pick um, international affairs, and it's looking grim in a lot of fronts. You could pick um, fuel, and the lack thereof. And you could think about environmental factors, there's a whole number of other areas. If you read your newspaper, it could be pretty depressing reading at times, can't it? And there lies the question, where is the hope today? Where is the hope? And I'm going to start a series just for the next couple of weeks um, called There is a Hope. 
There is hope. Now, um, there was a campaign that started last year in the Christian world in the UK. It was called Hope 2008. Did any of you hear of that? Anybody heard of that? Well, it was an initiative across the UK. And um, the title caught my eye. Because I think if there's one way to sum up communities and life in the UK at this moment, it's a lack of hope. A sense of hopelessness. And uh, I just thought that was nice that they were giving it that title and saying, there is hope. And what they did, they did a number of events, they did concerts, they raised awareness of Christian values and ethics. And what they've said now is that the church is to carry on from now on. And there's a Hope Alba. If you look up on the internet, it's Hope Scotland. And they're the only one of the UK organisations that's continuing with active planning after 2008. So look it up, Hope Scotland, Hope Alba. And I looked up Alba. Alba's the Gaelic name for Scotland. And uh, also can mean dawn. And maybe God has new beginnings for, in mind for Scotland, eh? Let's just pray about that. I believe he does have new beginnings. It's not just a church here in Murraysburg. I believe he wants to bring a new dawn in the church. You know, we used to be called a country that loved God's word. Glasgow's motto was the preaching of his word and the praising of his name. And that motto has been removed. But I believe God's going to reinstate that. And I think this, this word hope speaks volumes. So we have hope in Scotland's villages, towns and cities. I'm only just explaining that to give you the context of where that, that came from. And look it up in your own time there. But this series is There Is Hope. The Power of Focus. If you look at a definition of hope in the, in the dictionary, it would say something like this on the screen there. A wish or desire accompanied by confident expectation of its fulfilment. Something that is hoped for or desired. Success is our hope. One that is a source of or reason for hope. For example, the team's only hope for victory. And interestingly, here's a Christian definition in the dictionary. Hope Christianity. The theological virtue defined as the desire and search for a future good. Difficult, but not impossible to attain with God's help. And the old archaic meaning, trust or confidence. There is hope. Joyce Meyer, Auntie Joyce there, she says, I define hope as the happy anticipation of good things. Are you aggressively hoping for something good to happen to you? Do you wake up in the morning excited and expectant about life? You can do that by learning how to celebrate and enjoy this journey called life. There's a chap called Chip Ingram, preacher from the United States. He says this is a divine equation. C plus P equals E. C plus P equals E. Circumstances plus perspective equals experience. Try and keep that one in your head as we go through. He also says this. Living above my circumstances occurs when my perspective interprets my circumstances rather than my circumstances determining my perspective. Got a question for you. Getting a wee bit interactive today. Where is your focus? It's important as we go through this today. We can talk about hope and we can talk about these things. But um, you know, what is it in your life? If I was to ask you right now, you don't have to, but if I was to ask you to write down one thing on a sheet of paper in front of you that's troubling you, what would you write? 
what's the one thing? I know we've got a lot of things in our life, but there's, there's always that one thing that you're driving in the car and your mind settles down and it's the one thing your mind keeps coming back to that bothers you. It's something that troubles you, it depresses you. Just think right now, if you think of it like in a box, like see that image is showing, he's looking down at that question mark, what would you put in there? I know what I would put in there. I did this personally myself recently. It can be it can be experiences that have happened to you, it can be a job situation, it can be lots of different practical aspects or relational aspects of life. Just keep that in mind, that thing that God's brought to your mind there. Let's take a look at the life of the Apostle Paul as a model for us. Turn to Philippians chapter 1, uh, page 985 if you've got a church Bible, and the church Bibles I've just realised are here, so that'll be hard to turn to one of those. Um, so Philippians chapter 1 in the New Testament if you have a Bible there. If not, the verses will be on the screen. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. Now to give you context here, it's around 62 AD. Paul here is in a Roman prison. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. He's been totally rejected. And this is what he writes in verses 1 to 2. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I am writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Notice his focus here, the focus of Paul. He doesn't start by complaining. Wouldn't you have started by complaining if you were writing to the church in Philippi? I think I would have had a wee grumble. Do you not realise how hard it is here? Do you not realise how difficult this is? Do you not realise how bad they're being to me? But Paul rather chooses to focus on his saviour. Verse 1, he says, We're slaves of Christ Jesus. That's also translated as servants. Or bond servants. He's got a connection to God that's the most important thing in his life. That's the thing when you read these scriptures. You read Paul. He calls himself a bond servant. A slave of Christ. He's living for Christ. That's his number one focus. His second focus here is the church. Verse 1. To all of God's holy people. In Philippi. So he's focusing on God. Focusing on the church. And he's praying a blessing on them. Verse 2. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. How often in those circumstances we would be praying for ourselves. And uh, there's nothing wrong with praying for your own circumstances. But just notice the reverse around here. Paul is praying for them. Grace and peace. A we recap of his uh, not too good circumstances here. Paul, he was uh, in prison. His life was in danger, to say the least. And his future was looking bleak. There was no way ahead for this man, really. He was under arrest. He's got the, the crack guard all around him. There's no, there's no real hope here for him in a practical sense, or in any sense, really, for the future. When you think of that wee equation again, C plus P equals E. Circumstances plus perspective equals experience. Let's go back to the passage and continue to look at Paul's focus in the midst of these difficult circumstances. In verses 3 to 6. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, 
I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Here again Paul's focus is on the Philippians. Long time association with himself in spreading the good news of Christ. You know they've had a partnership. And that's the great thing about church isn't it? We're here in Moody'sburn, we're a partnership. There's a, there's a fellowship together, working together to share the good news of Christ. And he relates back, he's looking to the past, not at currently what's going on in his own life, but he's reflecting on his past and he gets great joy from that. He's looking back with joy to past experiences. And he's also looking forward with confidence to the future. And that's there in verse 6. And I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished when Christ Jesus returns. Joy for the past, confidence in the future. He is fully confident that what was true from the first day and is still true now will be true to the end as well. But this confidence has very little to do with the people and everything to do with God who both began the good work which is still in evidence there and will carry on to completion until the day Christ Jesus returns. So he's reminded them of of the joy of their good past and the present Paul turns to assure them of their certain future. One commentator says, commentator says this about these verses. In every truly Christian life, the most obvious evidence, uh, the most obvious evidence of the experience of God's grace and peace is gratitude and joy. I'll just read that again. In every truly Christian life, the most obvious evidence of the experience of God's grace and peace is gratitude and joy. So if you're looking to see someone who's living a godly life, as Paul was here, you would observe in them gratitude and joy. And joy just doesn't mean a smile on your face with kind of, I'm happy, happy, happy. Joy is a deep contentment and a much deeper word of finding fulfillment in life and a reason for life and a happiness that goes deep regardless of circumstances. And gratitude is thanksgiving. So just to recap there. Paul's focus was threefold. Firstly he was thankful. And that was verse 3 there. And you know thanksgiving is a choice. It's not something you wake up in the morning and and just do automatically. You've got to choose to be thankful. Paul chose to be thankful. In the midst of his circumstances. Secondly he was prayerful. And it says he was I pray with joy. So out of this prayer was coming joy. No doubt is he remembered the experiences and he remembered the good times. Um, joy was welling up in his soul and heart, so the prayer was mixed with joy. That's an action of the will. You've got to decide to pray, don't you? I've got to decide to pray for people. I've got to decide to pray about circumstances. It doesn't just automatically happen. Thirdly, he was confident. And that's an attitude. He had a confident attitude. And this also, the word confident can mean hopeful or certain he uses the word certain there in the New Living Translation confident and all of these things are all centred in God of course so Paul had an upward focus um, that's a picture of Audrey Hepburn uh, I got off the internet and it caught my attention because it's got a busy street there and uh, she's just standing with her 
looking upward and uh, you know sometimes in life we're so distracted by the business around us getting from A to B that we, we don't look up Paul clearly had an upward focus didn't allow his circumstances to determine his actions even in an impossible situation Paul kept his eyes on Jesus how easy it is to get so focused on the things going on around us that we lose sight of what really matters Paul knew his relationship with Jesus Christ was the most important thing in his life he was looking upwards your feelings always follow your focus that's an interesting statement again it caught my attention your feelings always follow your focus so often we rely on our feelings don't we to determine our actions say things like I'm not feeling like getting out of bed today I'm not feeling like going to work today I'm not feeling well so I'll stay in my bed (laughs) you ever felt like that? I feel like that most days (laughs) let's be honest (laughs) so if we determined our actions on our feelings none of us would get out of bed would we dad? Happy Father's Day, by the way. <laughs> but if we determined our, our life and our feelings, most of us wouldn't get out of bed. Joyce Meyer says, uh, Don't let your feelings be a God to you. Don't let your feelings be a God to you. Don't let feelings determine your behaviour. She also says this, Many times when we don't feel joyful, we will need to make the choice to rejoice before we start slipping into depression eventually our feelings will catch up with the decision of our will your feelings will catch up and you see that as we develop through this passage here when we go back to as Paul continues verses 7 to 9 so it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you for you have a special place in my heart you share with me the special favour of God both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. When Paul was writing this letter, as we've said, he was in prison. It would have been understandable if he was thinking about himself, focusing on his needs and the danger surrounding him. Instead, we see in these verses, Paul is reaching out with love and compassion to his fellow believers. Verse 8, God knows how much I love you and I long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus indeed it seems that Paul did even experience the fellowship of the church sharing with him even in his imprisonment and defending the good news do you see that there as he says in verse 7 you share with me the special favour of God both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news so Paul's actually here getting great joy and reassurance from the the love shared with his fellow believers while he's in prison he had an outward focus an outward focus he was able in the midst of a difficult and seemingly impossible situation to look outward to the needs of others and also to experience great joy through their fellowship note that he was totally reliant on God strength alone to do this you know we can't do this with our own strength we can look at people like Paul here and we can say oh well he was an apostle and you know he he was incredibly more powerful than me and uh, there's no way I could face the same situation as that 
But you know, Paul said later on in Philippians, you could look it up later, it's uh, chapter 4, verse 13. He says this, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You know, Paul knew that this wasn't his strength that was getting him through the circumstances. This upward focus he had, the outward focus was all through the strength of our Lord Jesus Christ in him. Continuing in verse 9 to 11, he says this, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ Jesus. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Now Paul turns again to a prayer for the church in Philippi. And what does he pray for? He prays firstly for an overflow of love. An overflow of love. That's verse 9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more. He firstly, most importantly, prays for an outpouring of love in the church at Philippi. No doubt Paul knew well the words of Jesus in John 13 verse 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Without love, the church wouldn't operate and Paul knew that. So his fundamental first prayer, and you'll find it in the other letters too of Paul, that their love may abound more and more. Secondly, praise for their knowledge and understanding. That's verses 9 and 10. It's important that we're always learning. We're always attending church services, learning more from God's word, isn't it? And uh, attending Bible studies and reading in our personal time. Try and take in the truth and constantly be increasing our knowledge and understanding of all that God's done for us. When we focus on the truth of the word of God, it renews and transforms our mind. We see that in Romans 12 verse 2. It says this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, the good, pleasing and perfect will. So it's not just enough to live a life of love without any truth in it. We need to read the word of God, let it go through our head, listen to good teaching. And as we do that, our minds change. Our, our minds are literally renewed and changed so that we're no longer living by the pattern of the world, but being transformed into something wholly different. And you can see that, can't you, in Paul? Just step into his shoes for a second. Is he thinking the way most of us would think? Some of you might think that way. I know I would probably wouldn't, I'll be honest with you, the way I am right now. I know God's got a lot of work to do in me. But isn't it good that God does the work? And that the more we focus on these things and an overflow of love on his word, he will make us into the type of person that can endure suffering like that and see the good in it and to love others in the midst of it. And thirdly, there he prays for purity and fruit in the church and the lives of the believers. Pure most likely refers to the purity or sincerity of motive in terms of relationships within the community. Um, you know often we can be nice to people on the surface but talk behind their backs and uh, do you know I think there's nothing more hurtful than being aware of somebody doing that and when you find out your trust has been betrayed by someone speaking behind your back that's a hard bitter pill to swallow isn't it 
And I think it's because we're supposed to love each other. That's God, the God-ordained way. Is that we have to love one another. We have to persevere with one another. And we have to think the best of each other. And um, in the church, it's just a wee challenge for all of us. For being sincere in your motives towards each other. And, and our behaviours towards each other. That we don't say one thing to someone's face and another behind their back. Backbiting at them. Our relationships are important and need to be sincere. Also, it means purity. Um, purity in our lifestyle as well. It's not just enough to live a good life in the public eye and then in private um, be all over the place. And that's a challenge to my own heart as well as all, all of our hearts here. And again, look to God for our strength in there. God for t- transforming. You know, transformation isn't an instant thing. It's something which is happening throughout our life. We get saved in an instant when we say yes to Jesus, but the transformation is a lifetime experience, isn't it? And uh, we can all look forward and say, I'm confident that God's going to complete the work that he started in me. He's renewing me. He's changing my life. So don't feel down on yourself for those things you look at and you, you know they shouldn't be there. Paul's praying for this because he knows God's needing to do it. God needs to change people. He needs to change us all. And he can do it. Amen. Also it means not causing someone else to stumble. And that's another thing we can do. Sometimes by our behaviour, other people's watches, or family's watches, or friends' watches, and it can affect people in negative ways. So it's just being careful and asking God to renew our behaviour when we're folks round about us. So, just finishing now. Remember that divine equation? Circumstances plus perspective equals experience. Let's be determined to have an upward focus on Christ and an outward, outward focus to other people in the midst of the circumstances of life then we will experience the love of Christ the love and fellowship of other believers and the strength to live through any circumstance in life you know if Paul hadn't had an upward focus on Christ and an outward focus on the people he wouldn't have experienced the tremendous love of Christ would he? He wouldn't have known what it was if he hadn't had a relationship and focus on Christ. Christ loved loved him and gave himself for him. And he wouldn't have experienced the love and fellowship of other believers sharing with him as he goes through the good times, the bad times, the impossible times. And knowing that they support him in practical and spiritual ways. What a joy it is to know folks support you in life. To know you can rely on people. You can trust folks. You can trust fellow believers. In Jesus' name. And also, most importantly, we can trust God to give us the strength to live through any circumstance of life. Paul knew that, and we can know that right now today. Living above my circumstances occurs when my perspective interprets my circumstances rather than my circumstances determining my perspective. Let's not let the world determine how we behave. Let's not let the bad news in the newspaper determine whether we can live a life of joy and hope as a Christian. Do you know, um, when the financial thing hit, Cathy uh, sent me an email, and it was just uh, something along the lines of, there's no deficit in the, in the Lord's economy. And do you know, it just reminded me that God is able. He's more than able to supply everything that we need, and we don't need to be like the world in panic when there's a recession and panic when finances are falling around us we don't need to panic when there's rumours of wars because we know God's in control and he's able, it's not a flippant statement it's a very true statement 
in my life I could testify to everything I've needed God has provided absolutely everything he's never kept me short or, or fallen short of anything I've required in fact he's given more than I've needed more good things in my life than I've deserved and have a wee think of your own life think of those things he's given to you let's apply this scripture to all of us today Philippians 1.6 and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns we have confidence in Jesus Christ who will complete the work in us do you have that confidence today do you have that confidence do you know for certain that Jesus Christ has saved you and that you have a certain future in his hands if you don't then let's pray now Father God we thank you for your word to us today we thank you that you are a hope and future for each one of us that believes in you And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak into the hearts and minds of everyone, including myself today. Speak your word to us, Lord. You know the exact circumstances we find ourselves in. You know the pressures. You know the relationships. You know the hurts of the past and the present. And you know what's going to come. And Father, I just pray, if there's anybody here that isn't sure, doesn't have a sure hope that you have saved them, that you would speak to their life right now, in Jesus' name. And that they would say, yes, Lord, I believe in you, Lord Jesus. I believe that you died on the cross. And in dying on the cross for me, you took on board all of my failures and shortcomings. And that you said, if I believe in you, if I confess with my mouth. And believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will save me. And I say yes to you today. And I ask you to come into my life and save me. I repent of my sins. I know that it's important to be truly sorry for the things that I've done wrong and I ask you to forgive me for my sins. And I turn now and I ask you to recreate me and fill me with your Holy Spirit and enable me to live a life like that of Paul, focusing on you and on other people and your strength and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. And I just pray, Lord God, if anybody wasn't sure today that you would speak into their hearts and that you would save them in Jesus' name. We thank you. You don't desire anyone to be lost, but you desire that all are saved and have a hope and a future in Jesus. And Father, for those of us that have believed in you at some point in our lives, we turn to you today and we lay before you our circumstances. In fact, we lay them down. And we thank you, Lord God, that you didn't follow your desires when it when it came to the suffering on this earth that even though it was very very hard for you you pushed through the suffering and you went through the suffering of the cross and you said yes because you loved us and your love drove you to the cross and your love for us compelled you your compassion drove you not the desire for yourself not what you wanted to do but the Father's will and for the good of us and Father we we, we just ask you to help us understand the life that Paul lived for you, the meaning in it, the meaning of what he said to, to somehow share in the sufferings of Christ that is an honour and a privilege to go through trials and difficulties. 
because we're sharing in what our Lord went before us. Father, I just pray as Christians, if we've had hard times, I just pray, Lord, you say to us if we're heavy burdened and we're weary, we should come to you and you will give us rest. And I pray today that you would help each one of us to lay our burdens before your cross and say, Lord, you did it all. You were able to deal with all the sin and all the practical problems of this world and you're able to take the burden off my shoulders and I place it at the feet of the cross and I just pray Lord God for folks all around this room that are going through difficult family situations different, difficult job situations life that you would speak your peace into it and your love into it and lift the burden in Jesus name we trust in you Lord And you're interested and compassionate in the smallest detail and in the biggest mountain. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Um, we continue next week in the same passage. Um, and part two is, is called The Power of Purpose. So we'll do that next week. And I'd just like to close with a song, uh, a new song, just to see as we sing through it. Um, it's written by Stuart Townend and it's called There Is a Hope.
Stein.